Hello, everyone. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. It is November 13, 2019. It seems like there's a lot going on in my news feed right now, but we're going to ignore all of it to talk about manga this week, Chris. Okay. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to talk about your news feed. Oh, fine. <laughs> no, uh, I do want to mention, so I, I, I've... Mentioned previously, like I started up uh, a holiday like side gig, uh, and it's uh, not to name names. It's, it's a big box store kind of place. Just you know, okay. it, this is retail, but the back end side of it, uh, the butt of retail, you could say. <laughs> and uh, you would think it would be the other way around because it's the like taking stuff in before shitting it out part. <laughs> no, this is this this is uh, this is the where the big box store gets its enema done. And it, gotcha. it hoses out all the weaklings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so one of the jobs that they gave me was uh, backstock, and to describe simply how it goes is uh, boxes of stuff are just sent up to you. It's like a long conveyor belt that goes up to the second story where you store everything, and it just doesn't stop. It it just keeps going. So right. for a very and I was the only person doing it. So I was like for a while, it's like. All right, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try to keep this neat. I'm going to try to keep everything organized. Uh, and eventually stuff just keeps coming so much. You reach a point where you just start. You're like, I have fucking no time for this. You start throwing stuff. So I, I don't want to name the store. Uh, but I would say that if you're shopping for a blender, uh, don't do it in the central PA reason. Because there is not a single blender in that place that I didn't hot shot across the floor. And I guarantee ah! not a single one of them is in one piece. Which brings me to this point. The other job that they had me doing recently was, and, and I can't fully comprehend this, because we had stuff sent from a warehouse in a truck to our store that we cannot hold, so we move it all out to a storage container in the back. Oh dear. It's not, mar like, nothing's scanned in at this point, no one knows really where anything is, it's just moved back there. And my job was at three in the morning... At about 30 degree weather, dark as shit, to start just putting toys in one of these storage containers. And you have to just, like, hold a flashlight in your mouth as you're carrying these big boxes and trying to find a place to fit them. And it's toys, so they're all in big boxes. But sometimes when you drop them, they activate. So there was one point where I put a box down. It's three in the morning. It's pitch black. I just have a flashlight in my mouth, and a tiny little doll starts singing at me. And I was like, all right, this is terrifying. <laughs> so I lost my I lost my effort after that point. My, mo my moment really came when I was moving boxes, and it was for Frozen 2 play sets. And I don't okay. know anything about Frozen 2, but I do know the song for the original. And it's me just tossing these things. <laughs> and... Throwing it at such a speed, you activate it, and you just hear the song start like, let it go, let it go, Colonel. <laughs> and you just, you don't have time to care. You're like, hey, some little kid's Christmas is ruined. That's not my fault, all right? <laughs> so don't get any Frozen 2 dolls for your child in the get, Central PA area either. Don't get Frozen 2 displays or blenders. They're, not a single one of them is going to work. From the looks of the trailers that I've seen for Frozen 2, the songs that are have just been and that's it. So <laughs> I don't know if that's I don't know if that movie's going to be a musical or not. So <laughs> they might just reprise all the greatest hits in the last one, which is yeah. Why bother? Writing ev every song else. except the, the the troll song, I think. 
<laughs> the ice song. A little bit of a fixer upper. Yeah. The ice song is awesome too. It's like no one thinks no one talks about that one though. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it's just not a Disney song, you know. Hmm. You know, I got Nick. You, you know. I, I get you. Do you? I, I understand what you mean. Okay, thank you. It's all I needed in my life. It's all the validation I needed. Cool. Speaking of needing validation in your life, family drama in My Hero Academia. That's right. We're transitioning into it. That's all fanciful and stuff. I'm a professional podcast host. Recap portion of the week manga recap begins with My Hero Academia. It is chapter number 249, The Hellish Todoroki Family. Uh, as we saw in the previous chapter a couple weeks ago, Fuyumi, Todoroki's older sister, uh, called the entire family, including Todoroki's friends uh, that he is doing the work study with, to uh, just come have food. They're going to try this family dinner thing again. Obviously, the Todoroki mother is not going to be there because she's still, you know, in the hospital. Yeah, she's still not doing great. Uh we open the chapter with Endeavor basically thinking things are bad in terms of his relationship with his family right now. Uh, he has this recurring dream where he sees his wife and his children all happily spending dinner together and he's not there at the table with them. So hmm. uh, we see how things have been going with uh, everyone working at Endeavor's agency Uh Deku and company have not been able to actually uh, keep up with Endeavor or catch up with Endeavor, rather. We also see Bakugo with his uh, the mask as part of his superhero costume kind of like slipped up onto his forehead. It almost looks like a headband. So it's an odd look for him. And uh, yeah, I had actually kind of wondered if it was a mask or if it was like something he like painted over his eyes. But it's a mask, apparently. So. Uh. Pushing themselves hard. They're all beat up and stuff from just, I guess, really pushing themselves. Uh, but they still can't keep up with Endeavor. And uh, they're going to go now to see Endeavor's family because and Bakugo is completely taken off guard by this. Uh, they show up and in, you know, their civilian garb and Bakugo is just going, why? And Todoroki's like, well, my sister said that we should come to dinner. And Baco again just says, why? He's very upset to be here. He keeps on saying it quieter and quieter across this page. It's very funny. I, I empathize with him, though, because I, I want to go your family dinner. I, you. I, too, have been to very awkward family functions that you're like, why am I here? I shouldn't be here. So, yep, the, it's even though. Deku and Bakugo are intruding on things. It is basically exactly as awkward as it was before. Possibly even more awkward because his older brother, Natsu, uh, is wearing a shirt that says back on the back. And judging by the part of the layers that we can see, it says Frant on the front. Yeah, well, you know. Misspelling is cool nowadays, Nick. Yes. You don't want to be one of those nerds that spells things correctly. You got to be cool and spell things kind of wrong sometimes. No, you don't. 
Don't do that. I think that's exactly what the kids do, Nick. Kids who are listening to this, don't spell things wrong on purpose to be cool. Because it's not cool. It's lame. Nick, I think I'm in touch with the children today a little more than you are. I know all about the flossing and the misspelling things, them and their Judas Priest and uh, just all the cool things kids talk about nowadays. And one of the things they talk about all the time is how they like to misspell things. They often do it when commenting on Fortnite videos and uh, Minecraft tutorials. So I think that's clearly what kids are into these days. Minecraft. Kids are into Minecraft. That was that was the one part of all the things I said that you were like, hold on, I have to correct you. Children into Minecraft? No. How dare you suggest that? Maybe they're into Minecraft. I don't fucking know. Kids love Minecraft. That shit makes like $10 billion a year, I think. $10 billion a year? Yeah, I don't have time for accurate numbers, but it makes a lot of money. That game's still relevant. I think that game came out in like 2004. Don't, don't quote me on that. I don't know for certain, but that game came out a very long time ago. It is still crazy relevant. I think that I've been an old man when it comes to video games for approximately 15 years, so. You're like, I remember when you could remember all the Pokemon and the Pokedex. Now I you did. can't even fit them all into one game. You can't, you can't. Am I old and Irish in this scenario? Oy! These these Pokemon, there's too many of them nowadays. Kids today, hoi de toy de toy. I actually did make it a point when I was in like fifth grade to memorize all 150 Pokemon by Dex number because I was a little yeah well, little nerd. What was 88? I don't remember now. Like I I believe it was Grimer. And it'd be approximately around there. Yeah. All right, hold so, on. Pokedex. Let's put a pizza bed on it, Nick. No, it's not. Damn it. Uh, it is Grimer, which I remember solely because back at the time, you would say, like, whatever year you were born in was your Pokemon. And I was Uh, like, I got fucking Grimer. I didn't even get the old one. It's not a very good uh, test, too, considering that everyone would have been in the same generation. So you would have gotten, you know, a bunch of it would have been a range of like seven Pokemon. And that's right. Right. It would have been, you know, and uh, most of them like poison types, too. (laughs) It was like. The the Seal family, the Grimer family, and the Shelter family. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And then you would get into the ghosts. And then it, eventually you would hit the Millennium kids and you would hit Voltorbs and Electrodes and yeah. stuff. I still remember some obscure numbers, but uh, not a lot of them. Ponyta and Rapidash, I think, were like 77 and 78 kind of thing. All right. Anyhow. That was a good chapter, My Hero Academia. Let's move on to Eden Zero. (laughs) Basically, what happens in the rest of the chapter is it's a repeat of the first dinner scene that we saw involving the Todoroki family. Natsu gets fed up with them trying to force having a relationship with Endeavor again, and he gets up to leave. Basically just saying, like, you know, I tried, and he's just going to leave. So... Afterwards, everyone's kind of, you know, cleaning up uh, the table and doing the dishes and stuff. And Fuyumi has a conversation with Shoto saying, you know, I, I understand Natsu's feelings, uh, but I feel like we have a chance to be like an actual family again now. And I want to have that. So she asks Shoto how he feels. And Shoto says, 
I think of this burn as if it was something that our old man gave me as opposed to his mother who literally physically gave it to him. His father was the one who created the scenario that did it. And we do see that when something that we haven't seen before, which is that after Teruki's mother burned him, she immediately was horrified by what she had done. And she actually used her quirk to try and uh, stop the burning. Um, and so essentially, you know, Federici realizes that the experiences that they had and when he was a child basically ruined his mother and she's trying to recover from that still now. Uh, we see, you know, more of the text of the letter that she has been sending him and stuff. And he admits that basically he doesn't know how he should be feeling right now. He want. He, he understands what everyone is doing right now, but he doesn't really understand how he feels, basically. And Bako's like, I don't want any part of this. Stop it. Stop <laughs> having family drama while I'm here. Just give me food. I really, like, I've never related to Bako harder than this, where he's just like, you invited us to a family dinner and all you did was have drama. You ruined perfectly good food. <laughs> His exact words are, when you host a dinner, it's supposed to be civil and pleasant. Sheesh! <laughs> I love G-rated Bakugo. <laughs> Oi! What are you doing? Deku uh, has a much more diplomatic approach, and he says some stuff that I don't know is good advice, which is he thinks that Todoroki is trying to prepare himself to be ready to forgive Endeavor. Because if you really hate him, you would just say, I'll never forgive him. But because you're so caring yourself, you feel like you're waiting. Or at least that's how it seems like. And we see that Natsu, despite the fact that he had uh, stormed out earlier, he's actually hanging out by the back door. And there's an awkward little panel where Bakugo spots him. And then finally, the chapter ends with after Endeavor uh, is putting some has put the dishes and stuff away. He overheard this conversation between Deku and Todoroki, and he goes to a little shrine that is set up in the family household. And he says to himself, you know, it might be too late, but I fall asleep every night thinking about what I can do for my family. And I wish you could be here too, Toya. As we see a little photograph set up in the shrine of a boy who looks to be about middle school age. So it seems as though Todoroki has a brother whom the family believes is dead. Uh, so every now and again, I bring it up on the podcast, the whole is like there's a theory that Dobby is related to the Todoroki family. Eh, it's it's kind of it's getting more and more likely, it seems like more and more little bits are being dropped in. I did. I, I mean, you know, look. More than any uh, series that we discuss on the podcast at this point, I'm a, probably the biggest fan in terms of like uh, looking at, you know, fan works, uh, fan theories and stuff like that uh, of My Hero Academia than any other. So I did open up a picture of Dobby and try and compare hairstyles <laughs> to this photo. I was like, well, maybe he just died. It was like, well, even Nick. And I was like, Nick. 
even if he if it's him, he doesn't necessarily have to have the exact same natural hair, you know, because if he dyed the hair, then maybe his he would have also, you know, mohawked it. You know, why bother keeping it the same at all remotely? There's, there's also the startling difference of why he has like dead skin stapled around his eyes and cheeks. And they're like, if we're able to rationalize the kid as having that potentially mm-hmm. in the future, him changing his hair color shouldn't be like the thing where like, hold on a moment. Dobby doesn't have that hairstyle. My body can't handle my quirk, so I've got all these burn scars. And also, it singed my hair black permanently. That's how hair works. I don't, I mean, you burn it and it stays black forever. Uh, so this is going to be, I feel, a pretty contentious chapter, as pretty much any chapter that involves the Endeavor Todoroki situation yep. is going to be. Um I don't think there's any way for us to say whether or not this chapter is, like, good or not. Because a lot of it's going to come on your perception as to whether or not Endeavor deserves redemption or things yes. like that. And it's it's a very personal topic for a lot of different people. There's parts to it I did appreciate. One, I just appreciate that uh, um, Horikoshi is going here. Like, it just... This feels like a topic that wouldn't get touched in most other Shonen Battle series, so... You know, as long as it's not done horrendously, I'll kind of appreciate it. I do appreciate we see more of the thoughts of the different kids. Um, mm-hmm. How we see one kid just absolutely wants nothing to do with them. The other one yep. is desperately trying to bring them back together. And that there, there is a very relatable aspect of that. The one part I didn't like is I have no idea why Deku felt the need to insert himself into us and be like, well, here's what the real situation is. Just with one sentence, he's like... I've identified the entire problem with your relationship and what your true feelings are. And it's like, I don't know, maybe this isn't your place to insert yourself here. At, at least he does. At least he clear. He, you know, puts the disclaimer on it by saying, like, I feel like this is what's going on, you know, in a very Deku kind of way. Yeah. But it is kind of weird that he's like, you should just you, you're getting ready to forgive your dad and just look past all the issues you had together. He's like, hey, remember Remember back when you were like very strongly telling Todoroki that he needed to, you know, not be living in spite and just not give a shit what his dad wanted for him and that he should just be his own person. What happened to that? <laughs> but, yeah, like It made sense in the sports festival. Deku inserting himself there and kind of staying his thoughts makes sense. It feels a lot weirder when he goes to their family house, is around all the kids who are clearly having this awkward situation and then like one short paragraph he's like i think i've solved your issue for you and everyone has the reaction like i guess this is really what it seems like everyone's like i guess we really we do kind of want him back or whatever it just it feels weird and i am with you there that bakugo is the most relatable character in this because he's just like i don't know anything that's going on stop (laughs) stop being awkward around me (laughs) why did you invite me to this dinner if this is what you were going to do i just want to go home I also like, because you mentioned the three different kind of perspectives between the Todoroki siblings, that, of course, it's, you know, the guy with the fire quirk is one way, the girl with the cold quirk is the other, and then Shoto with both is in between them. Mm -hmm. It's like, ah, you know. Um, I feel as though, because we've been talking about this whole, this subplot with the Todoroki family for, because, God, it started like, Close to a year ago, I think. Um, but I don't know. 
we're, we're getting in a month and a half. I'm going to have to guess wh- where all the series were at the start of the year. And I'm going, I'm, I'm going to guess wrong on all of them. But um, I feel as though because people were looking at this and being like, oh, no, this is going to be terrible. And I don't and I think that it's at the point where it's not as bad as it could be. But it is still kind of awkward to be doing this subject matter at all, given the severity of the abuse that Endeavor inflicted on his entire family. I do appreciate that we're getting more of his insight and him more and more realizing uh, how things are and him trying harder and harder to fix things, but admitting he doesn't know what to do. Um because sometimes you break something so badly you can't fix it. Uh, and I also want to say that it seems as though we're pushing towards the direction of Shoto eventually reconciling with his father. Uh, I want to go ahead and say right now that if you have been horribly wronged by somebody, you don't owe them apology no matter how hard they do. Apolo- uh, not, not, oh, sorry. You don't have to accept their apology no matter how hard they, they, uh, they, they try to apologize to you. You don't owe them forgiveness so but just want to clarify that that is my stance on this so yeah i mean we're gonna we're sticking with this subplot you know it's it's gonna keep on coming up so we're gonna have to get used to it as i mentioned before the the thing that i want to see more of and it's fine to kind of go into this and examine it but the the big thing i really want to hit on is that if you're going to do this type of story, you need to spend less time focusing on Endeavor feeling bad about himself and being like, mm-hmm. I want to correct things, and more time focusing on the actual people that you hurt and abused and how they work through this. Because yeah. it's going to be annoying. I think that's why it kind of bothers me that Deku says this, because it really kind of feels like it steals some of the catharsis away from those characters. Who so the ones are, you know, if you want to accept someone like that back into your life, you know, that's fine. It's just, I'd rather see them work through this than Deku just show up and be like, I have the answer. Yeah, it's an issue with the framing and especially in the day and age with the cultural movement that we have going on right now. Um, things are always framed in like, you know, just to use the very easy to go to example of when, you know, comedians do something bad and then they have they have their redemption comedy tour or whatever after coming out of that or something like that um it's not about you know what you do it's about the people that you know have had things done to them yeah all right let's move on to eden zero yes. then. chapter 69 noise rebecca's nightmare <laughs> not noise <laughs> maybe it's a fun nightmare it's uh, not <laughs> so we open on eden zero as rebecca is talking about her new ether gear which is all about her speed and i kind of enjoy this because weiss is like oi speed it is cool being what arsenal does she's like i'm not really and hermit's like arsenal could do a lot of things it just exemplified its speed one time, but it's customizable in real time. It's a lot more than just speed. Hers is just speed and specifically the ability to leap. It's They're very different. To anyone right now because she's like playing a video game or something. <laughs> she's like, it's really different. He's like, oh, but I don't care. Speed was one also the selling points and you ruined it. She's like, now can't we just both be fast? He's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You ever seen a goddamn superhero team with two people with the same powers? Which makes me believe Weiss has never seen the DC universe because everyone has the same powers in that. 
That's why War Machine broke his back, he did. You couldn't have him and Iron Man the Avengers all the time. Yeah, he had to use a sword he did in Civil War to make him different. Iron Man uses guns, he uses a sword. It makes them different. Uh, and also, once black and once... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Red and gold. What do you think I was going to say? <laughs> uh, so they decide to have a race. Pino says, I want to participate too, and Shiki also wants to just race. Because. Yeah, he just does. So we cut over to the hangar, where uh, Witch is guiding Hamora through basically an introduction into being a shining star. And gives uh, the big important details of what it is to be a shining star. Such as, what is they? what do they do? And Witch says, nothing really. <laughs> we kind of don't do selling <laughs> We don't really do anything when you think about it. Um, you know, we kind of help the Demon King or whatever, and we're all really good friends, but, you know, we don't really, like, treat him like a master or anything like that, so... It's weird, because this feels like a point that Hero hasn't actually worked out himself, um, and, you know, there's room to, you know, frickin'... I guess have some wiggle room on this. I guess it's not as necessarily important to have like very well-defined lore about this. Um, but it's also <sighs> look, okay. There's a lot of just character stuff in this chapter. Um, up until we get to the very end, which is setting up the next arc that we're doing. And none of it is bad, but some of it is weird. And I don't mean weird in the sense of, oh, that's so strange. I mean, in the sense of that kind of it throws you off because it's kind of unclear what direction it's taking. Not weird in the sense that uh, sister keeps Moscow tied up in a BDSM dungeon sometimes. Weird in the sense of like, why don't the (laughs) the four shining stars do anything really? Yeah, pretty much. Um, And I don't really get it because she says like, oh, yes, we follow this. We follow the demon king. Oh, like slaves. No. Oh, good. Because I was thinking of something dirty. And it's like, we have to do that. (laughs) As soon as she says, like, we are servants to the great demon king and Homura gets nervous about it. I'm immediately like, oh, no, they're going to do something. And honestly, the way that it's done, it's probably the most tasteful way you could make that joke short of not making the joke at all yeah i was gonna say you you didn't have to no one no one when they heard the concept of the four shining stars was like oh i wonder if they're kind of like sex slaves or something like that no that's clearly how hero rationalizes all of his writing he's like anytime there's a woman in a position lower than a man sexual servitude might potentially be how that relationship goes you're like and honestly like in terms of like the way that the shining stars have been portrayed so far like i'll give him credit i hadn't really thought of that at all up until it was just brought up (laughs) so (laughs) but you know for the amount of skin tight fetishy wear that uh sister uh and witch wear it's like yeah okay you know they're just kind of like female bodied women who are on this ship and they're pretty badass and that's it. So there's been very little fetishization of them because they've been minor characters, uh, you know, how it's I mean, it's happened on like the cover pages and that's about it. Uh-huh. So. so 
she sort of explains like, hey, you know, Valkyrie kind of handled all the armaments on everything. So she doesn't directly say that'll be your duty going forward, but kind of clarifies that's what Valkyrie did. So I guess it'd be cool if you kind of handled that too. Shows like, oh, they have starfighters, they have cannons, they have night gear, which I can't remember. Have we seen what night gear is? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It might be a tease to something going forward. But of course, <laughs> what would a hero series be without a reference to, like, the three fucking things that every goddamn hero series needs to reference? <laughs> There's also code 3173 Ethereon! <laughs> uh... And this is a very important thing. They're like, yes, the Shining Stars have no duties. Oh, except we all <laughs> need to give authorization for what is probably a giant nuke or something. Like, we're not really clear about what it is yet, but it's definitely something super dangerous. And the only part of this, like, conversation that's kind of worth noting is that she's like, yes, this is very important. You cannot tell the current Demon King or Lady Rebecca or anyone else. And Mora's like, uh, that's probably not good. And they're like, you know what? Fair. We, not, we won't tell you. We won't we tell you what it is yet because you can't keep the secret and you're concerned about that. It's like, all right, fine. That that is actually an effective use of Hamura's quirk thing mm -hmm. is not letting her on the secret because she knows I will not be able to keep this a secret. It's literally the thing I don't do. So Ninja X31 saying maybe the mechs the the first villain and the last villain had were night gears. Maybe. I don't remember. I thought that uh, Coronize bot was like a Dragoon or something like that. So maybe it is the same thing. Who knows? Well, I'm sure we'll find out at some point. Uh, we cut away. Rebecca's taking a nice hot bath in the bath that gives you ether gear powers. Uh, they rather clumsily explained that the race happened. And before it actually went off, Pino activated her EMP, which shut off everyone's ether gear and robotics. So they all lost and Pino won. And then Hermit yelled at her. And... I don't know why this explanation takes place like in a in conversation into well, like because Chris, if they hadn't done that, then you wouldn't have gotten to see Rebecca naked. Yeah, well, which is weird because they were like, "Well, we need a bat scene to be have her be naked. She won't be naked any other time." Actually, she's, no. she sometimes gets naked while she sleeps too. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> um. So yeah, they explained the whole race. Then Rebecca falls asleep. And here's where she has her nightmare, uh, and she just sort of has her nightmare in media res, and Shiki saves her, and a big explosion goes off. He's like, what are you staying around for? You gotta, you gotta go. And she's like, you want me to shoot my guns? Oh, well, where's Happy? And Shiki looks at her, and he gives a scout, he's like, Happy? What the hell are you talking about? How is a dead cat? gonna help anything dun, dun, dun. that's the nightmare so she wakes up in a cold sweat i guess she, <laughs> i guess she she presumably fell asleep in the bath and i don't know if they thought the nightmare was something she wakes up in a hospital bed i don't know how she got there if they were like this is a medical emergency you're having a nightmare and you're like actually it's a pretty common thing i don't know if you needed to move me there or because she fell asleep in the water she like flipped over because her breasts are too heavy <laughs> and then like she started oh, no. <laughs> yeah they say she fainted in the bath but again i don't <laughs> i mean she was asleep i i guess that's the same thing it, whatever 
Uh, she squeezes happy because she's very grateful that he's still alive. And she's like, I had a very scary dream. And sister looks at her kind of strange. And then she thinks, but, but was it a dream? And I'm not sure why she'd have any inkling she to suggest it's it might not. might be a premonition. Yeah. I, I, but I'm just like, what would lead you to believe? Because it? it was a very uncharacteristic moment of Shiki to, even if Happy did die, to be like, how is your dead cat going to do anything or something like yeah, that? Yeah, if, 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 if Happy died, he would have been like, <laughs> I know you can get over it. <laughs> You could be friends with new guns. <laughs> uh, then we get a weird joke that sister- hands are like a fucking Colt revolver. Here, a new friend for you, Rebecca. <laughs> he puts like googly eyes on it. Make friends with this, you dumb whore. Like, why is he insulting her too? <laughs> you know what? This all is exactly how I feel like Shiki would talk, though. So, uh, yeah, we get the weird joke that Moscow is kept at a BDSM dungeon sometimes. Um, and then they're like, hey, do you, like, it, it's been an eventful hour. We found out we were being tracked by that ship. We managed to shake them. And, well, Cheeky decided that he doesn't like being, like, followed by another ship. So he's assigned to take the first move. They're going to invade the giant space fortress burial goer. And uh, that's the goal. There's like a little, we see Wise, Hamora, and Shiki, and Pino heading over in one of their dropships. And Hermit says their plan is to gather information. But if they determine they are an enemy, their job will be to remove their leader. So it looks like the next mission is going to be about handling Draken Joe. Mm-hmm. Who is a member of the Space Eration 6, if you recall. <laughs> I think. Uh, so yeah. I, I already gave my thoughts basically about this chapter when we, as we were going through it. Um, it it's weird. Uh, there are some okay points of characterization and there are a number of just what the hell are you doing moments. Um, but it was all right. And uh, we're continuing on the usual pace that Ian Zero sets when going between arcs of just like, okay, here we go. Uh, just on to the next one. So let's move on. Let's talk a little bit about Beast Children. Uh, we're out of that match that they were having with Yukito's team. And um series is still continuing. I still have not gotten any indication that any of the series running and jump are getting canceled uh, uh, in the next week or so. It might happen, but um, it still feels as though, like, when is this going to end? But I guess that it's just that jump just isn't ending anything quite yet. Um, this is a chapter that focuses on, uh, Sora, uh, Shishigaya's friend. Uh, yes, he is going to give the rugby club a try. And it's about his trials and tribulations trying to get used to during their workouts and stuff. Uh, because it's very hard to be part of a rugby team. Um, because you're going to, you know, push your body into someone else's body over and over and over again. Uh, he ends up. Uh, working out alongside uh, a, I believe it turns out he's like Brazilian. Um, he's a foreign exchange student. And they like match up with this one uh, exercise where they're like pressing the, against each other's shoulders and, and uh, Sora keeps on getting hurt trying to do it. Uh, so he's like, oh my God, this is so hard. And uh, Shishigai is like, you have to meet things head on or else you're being rude. Uh, Sora runs off 
And so one of Shishigaya's uh, teammates, I don't remember anyone else's name, says to him, hey, you're hard on him. And he's like, well, I may have been a little harsh, but he just doesn't get it. If you don't really look at your partner and communicate, you'll get hurt. That's just how this sport is. See, Chris, this is what this series has been missing up to now. Fujoshi bait. Mm. We have needed this so long. <laughs> Where has this been? Because this is basically about Sora and this guy being able to match and align their bodies up and press against each other. Where has this been in this rugby series the entire time? How can you have a manga about rugby and not have uh, intimate grappling and getting used to matching up with each other? Come on. This is why Beast Children was doomed from the start, because there was no homoeroticism. I mean, there was some homoeroticism, was but there say, wasn't nearly enough. I was say, you know, you can make a real market in the in the jump uh, sports genre with that. So, and I'm not, and I'm saying this partially as a joke, but I'm also dead serious because this was one actually really endearing, and two would have been really effective in selling this series to more people. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's one of the big appeals of sports manga. Why do you think Haikyuu is so uh, popular? It's because there's a lot of girls who read it. Okay. Um, They end up matching up with each other and again, become friends and they're able to do the shoulder pressing exercise by the end of the chapter. Hooray. That's very cool. I got very distracted because uh, I went to Twitter and AEW tweeted out a GIF of Edel Uno doing a big move and he just eats shit like he <laughs> completely misses the 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 moonsault and i'm just very enamored they were like we better tweet this one out in particular maybe they're just trying to get the dark order to quit <laughs> nobody seems to like them <laughs> uh you know based off just this clip it looks like they finally fixed evil uno's gear itself where okay. Like he's wearing like a kind of a full body thing now, and I think he desperately needs that. So I don't know. Maybe it's better. Who knows? Anyway, Beast Children was all right this week. <laughs> yeah, that was my thoughts on Beast Children. I'm glad Evil Uno is wearing more. <laughs> like he has a full body thing now. <laughs> Mission Yozakura Family Mission Twelve dozing off. This was a fucking wacky chapter. Uh, so after the couple of chapters we got that we're focusing on individual family members, this is just getting back to the whole dynamic between Tayo and Mutsumi and Kyoichiro. Um, Kyoichiro decides that Tayo needs training uh, to always stay half awake. Always. Mm-hmm. Permanently. So he takes over the class uh, for the day uh, since he is already vice principal at the school. Um, after having sent their regular teacher on a first class vacation in Hawaii just to get him out of the way. Uh, and Kyoichiro starts doing the stereotypical Japanese school teacher thing of throwing chalk at a dozing off student to Tayo because Tayo's really, really tired, uh, after all of the stuff that he's been doing lately. Uh, Tayo's able to dodge it and then. This is the best part of the to- of the whole chapter. Kyoichiro starts tapping out his intent in Morse code on the chalkboard and basically explains, you know, this is training so that as a spy, you'll be able to control your sleeping habits so that like a migrating bird or a dolphin, you can put half your brain to sleep and maintain alertness. Yes, I'm sure that that works fine. That's that's a thing humans can do. 
Um, and essentially he's going to monitor Tayo and make sure that he's constantly staying awake, uh, no matter how drowsy he gets. Uh, otherwise he'll throw a chalk at him and hit him. And this is a very long, very long explanation that he gives in Morse code by tapping the chalk on the chalkboard. Uh, Tayo starts to reply by tapping his pencil on his desk, but Mutsumi starts tapping hers too, because she also understands Morse code because she lives in a spy family. So for like five or six pages, all of the dialogue in the chapter is translated in Morse code from them tapping their implement on a desk or chalkboard. It's ridiculous. Um, this is going to be an annoying as hell scene to animate. <laughs> like if oh, absolutely. An anime, it's going to be a hell to listen to this. So Tayo, despite his best effort, starts to fall asleep because Kyoichiro keeps on just like he like the cologne he's wearing is sleeping cologne. Uh, if you inhale it, it makes you it makes you get drowsier. Uh, he goes over to behind Tayo and starts like massaging his scalp to relax him, <laughs> to try and get him to fall asleep even harder. Meanwhile, Mutsumi's like putting on a gas mask in order to stay awake. Uh, eventually, he Kyoichiro pounds like with the, an eraser on the desk, and the chalk dust it sends up also puts everyone asleep, uh, except for Mutsumi, and even Tayo has fallen asleep as a result. But uh, when Kyoichiro throws chalk at him, Kyoichiro defends himself and they're like, oh, my God, he's awake. And then he just he's taken the electricity gun out to counter the chalk that Kyoichiro has thrown. And Tayo just goes <laughs> with his eyes wide open and he's managed to fall asleep while still staying awake. And so Kyoichiro is like, all right, then let's continue to level up. And he just starts to have a sparring session with Tayo while he's still going <laughs> and he's asleep. It's a wacky goddamn chapter. So um, it apparently didn't work uh, the way that Kyoichiro wanted because, yes, Taya was able to do this once. And after that, he just started sleepwalking. So that was the chapter. Yeah, I I like the chapter's like goofy kind of premise, but the 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 Morse code gag went on a little too long for my taste. And. I'm still just kind of at this place where I don't really like it reminds me a lot of early Katakyo Hitman Reborn where every chapter is kind of like jokes, but they keep including stuff that's sort of setting up the idea that it'll be a battle manga or something like that. And I'm like, there's just the part of me that's kind of waiting for the shoe to drop one way or the other, like. Are we going to just be a silly spy gag manga or is this going to be something that eventually becomes a lot more serious? I don't really know where it's falling yet. I get what you mean, because there have been some serious confrontations in the series thus far. And there, you know, when the stakes are high, the there is a sense of like, OK, you know, this is just like a serious action series. Uh, and the gags are then limited to just, you know, the ridiculous abilities that the Yozakura family have. Uh, but then it seems as though the regular part of the series is, you know, this is a crazy spy thing that we're doing. And it kind of drifts more into the realm of uh, just parody uh, more than anything. And I think you can have both in a series. Oh, yeah. But there needs to be some sort of a feeling of a consistent tone to it, because uh, as is, it kind of feels like they're 
not there's two ideas that are close to matching up, but they haven't quite clicked into place yet. The balance hasn't been completely achieved yet. So I do really like the series, but I do agree that it's kind of weird to, you know, we had the whole thing with the gardener guy kidnapping Mutsumi and stuff. And all that was just intense, you know, drama stuff. And there were some ridiculous things uh, and the ridiculousness was the joke. And that was that was what it was limited to mm. it. But it all felt like it was just a world and these ridiculous things happened. But since then, we've had a bunch of chapters where it's just been like, oh, it's wacky. And you can have lighter hearted chapters and you can have heavier chapters, but it's a little bit awkward still. It, so. it, 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 I'm sure it'll establish itself more in time and we'll have a more concrete idea right now. But I guess my main thing is I don't enjoy the comedy chapters as much. It's just not where my interest lies. So I'm curious to see if it's going you. to become more like the spy battle kind of thing and seeing if it will fall down that line. I make the reference to Reborn. People are saying in chat, I agree. It's miles better than Reborn. But that is sort of the closest comparison I can have, is that similar kind of premise, and that became a very hardcore battle manga relatively quickly after it didn't do so great in the rankings. So, mm-hmm. Or I don't know if it wasn't necessarily in the rankings, but it, it did make that shift, and I assume for popularity reasons. A lot of series do have to make that early shift. Uh, Madaka Box did the same thing. It started off, you know, basically being the comedy chapters of uh, of this series. And then it was like, no, nah, we just got to do an, be, be an action series to survive. We got to be the craziest action series you've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do wonder how the success of Spy Family uh, is affecting this one. If it's like, OK, well. You know, spy series are apparently in right now and it's trying it's going to try and ride off of that or if it's going to try and be different from spy family as and set itself apart uh but i guess that uh one we'll see if it gets the chance and two we'll see it, what it does so samurai eight chapter 26 like a samurai it's it's, it's like like the rap song yeah. about samurai kind of so, so kotsuko was a mole the entire time he goes after ann and <laughs> honestly the beginning of this chapter is great because hashimura just whirls around and just punches him in the face to protect ann it's like all right well that's taken care of <laughs> yeah I, I i like that it was like the big twist Co, whatever his name is he's evil what are we going to and immediately just gets punched out you're like no i guess this dude is not a threat whatsoever so instead um he goes over to join ben and he's going to take his side in the fight uh between hachimaru and kotsuga and uh, they're and they're like, oh, my gosh, I, how can you do this? We've known you for six chapters or whatever it's been. <laughs> and uh, Kosuka's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that that cat master, you know, you were suspicious the entire time. I felt like you were monitoring me. You made sure I was there helping you when you sniped, for example. 
and Jin or not Jin, uh, Ryu is, is is a little bit is a bit affected by this, even though he's still as stoic as ever. He keeps on you know, questioning him like, you know, you're a good guy. Why are you doing this? And it's so awkward because he's just like, what did I say earlier? I said, I wouldn't be so sure about that. When you've got a good plan, you keep it secret. So, well, then why did you try and tip him off? then? <laughs> He's like, I'm like Ozzy Mendes. I could brag about my Ozzie plan. Mendes? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I could brag about my plan <laughs> when I'm Hispanic knockoff of Ozzy Mendes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he doesn't know. He only he only saw the Wikipedia. Because he's like, I don't I can brag about my plan because it's that good. And you're like, no, the entire point of that scene is he only started bragging because it was already done. He was he was commentating on the guys who get too confident to brag about their plan early. He's like, yeah. But Rorschach was right all along. You're right. You're like, well, there really it's not wasn't that either. <laughs> the point is that you know it's not, it's unclear who was right in that situation, and you've got to think about it. <laughs> really, it was a lot more of a commentary about all of them were kind of different shades of wrong. It's like, well, see, Doctor Manhattan knew everything. So, <laughs> well, no, there were clearly things about the universe that he didn't understand, which was why he. <laughs> yeah, but it was cool to see that big blue cock animated. I'm like. I guess I don't. Where is this going? He's like, I liked Watchmen before it got all political with the new HBO show. You, before you mean before it existed because it was the first page. It was pretty political. Yeah, you know this, the original series where Nixon was serving his five his fifth term as president. That wasn't political at all. <laughs> it was just about cool superheroes fighting each other. And you're like, all right, you know what. And that's why I drew this comic about this guy who's rippling with impossible muscles. And he's got 10 grenade bandoliers, which also have katanas in the grenades. It's very cool. He fights a dude who shoots fire out of his eyes. <laughs> which is why he, none of them have pupils. <laughs> also pretty bad at drawing hands. So everyone's hands and are fire. Can't draw feet. Every, everyone's limbs are fire. They're just torsos <laughs> that spin at each other. And all the girls have... Have spines that let them show their ass and boobies off at the same time. Every chick has triple D gazongas, because that's how it would work in my world. Anyway, my first comic sold two trillion copies. I'm pretty great at this. I'm just going to do the same thing every time from now on. Anyway, so this... It's still 1995, right? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, now to give my real backstory... (laughs) Actually, I'm sympathetic. We probably would have been more careful about leading up to this if our cancellation wasn't constantly impending. I'm going to join the good guys in the final chapter. I I don't know who this is for. I wanted to be a samurai, but I was really bad at it, so everyone looked down on me and I decided, fuck samurai! (laughs) That's why I'm joining together with this evil samurai to fuck you, samurai. That's basically what the rest of this chapter is. But like, Nick, there's, I, there's such complex samurai politics in this world. Politics? Not in my story! <laughs> the Japanese don't have politics in their faction. <laughs> it's like the dude who was like, Hideo Kojima doesn't make political games. That's why he's the best. It's like, hasn't every game been a critique of war? Like every game he's made. It's about how cool killing people is. <laughs> Anyway, uh, that's it. Um, 
<laughs> there's, there's like, not, I was, not I'm really being flippant about, you know, his his motivations through this chapter, but I've basically covered it by describing the two or so pages dedicated to his backstory. And the rest of it is fiction. And they shoot a bunch of missiles. And then Hachimaru reflects on Atta, Dharma's previous disciple, and how he thought about how Dharma had trusted Atta, taught him what a samurai is supposed to be like, but he failed and was disappointed. And now Master has me as his new pupil. So he wonders about, you know, these like, you're, you have faith in me, right? You know, your eyes are not like Atta's. And so he's got this determination. And so Hachimaru's like, you know, from that moment on, I swore to act like a samurai. Uh, and th- there was this giant mech that Ben had summoned and they, he cuts it in half and he lands right in front, uh, of them and says, you know, whether master thinks so or not, I'm the one who will decide if I've been a disappointment or not, which is actually pretty, a, a pretty cool line is like, Hey, you know, I, I mean, regardless of how people think about me as a samurai, I'm going to actually live up to what I feel I have the potential to be. And so that's cool. But the rest of this chapter is just like, anyway, here was the thing that is going on. And um, maybe it would have been something that would have been built up more if the series weren't desperately trying to not get canceled at this point. Uh, but as is, you know, as we said last week, it's just like, oh, no, Katsuka betrayed everyone. How could you do that? I mean, we're we're. Three what three weeks straight now, or maybe it's maybe there's been a small break, but it feels like about a month straight of getting characters' backstories rather abruptly. We got Ans, then we got Darumas, and then this chapter it's whatever Kogetsu, whatever his name is. And you don't know anything about his backstory, so is that going to be revealed in like next chapter? Yeah, I mean, like, and if you were going to grade them, this is the one that clearly like there's the least amount of interest, and in. this wasn't a character. Like, I still don't actually know his name. I'm just, I think I've calling him Ichigo's sword I over keep, and over I again. I keep on having to look around the pages to find where his name is mentioned because I keep on forgetting it, even though I should know it by this point. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one of, what, five characters in the fucking series at this point, but he, he just, <laughs> he doesn't do anything or have any kind of interesting character quirk. So even him being the betrayer is sort of just like, I guess this is something to create some drama, but again, they've 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 already clowned him just by having Hachimaru punch him immediately and completely defuse the drama of that situation. So it's not like there's tension here. So it's and sort of just like, will what's his name be redeemed? And I'm kind of like, I don't care. And also, like in this kind of a situation, because it's such a common trope to have in so many action series or adventure series, the person that you don't know is necessarily trustworthy. you uh, joining with the group and everyone doesn't like them, or there's one person who really doesn't like them and doesn't trust them. There is a moment inevitably, inevitably that occurs where they prove themselves to the group in at least some small way demonstrating, Hey, you know, I've got your back. Uh, and that never happened with Kotsuga. He was just constantly annoying everyone, talking trash about Hachimaru, uh, saying how he just wanted the money in the tournament. And then he was basically completely useless while they were mowing through all the other samurai in this battle royal. As far as we know, at least, because we saw so little of it. The only time we saw assisting him assisting anyone was when he 
was basically Dharma's spotter uh, when he was going sniping and he barely contributed there. So, oh, yeah, the guy who did nothing helpful or did nothing to prove that you could at least appreciate him because he had your back. uh, Yeah, he betrayed them. What a shock. And it's just a matter of there has just been no time to set these things up because we've just got to get the payoffs in now because there's there's no time to to waste anymore because there was all that time that was spent focusing on unimportant things regarding the way samurai work. So shame. Yep. I'm sure all this could have been a lot better. Now let's move on to a good chapter, Nick. We never learned. No. <laughs> Question one thirty five. No, it is not. <laughs> Sometimes they choose a pizza bet in the presence of ogres. So this is entirely based around a festival that has absolutely no real translation to English. It's called the Setsubun Festival. It apparently has to deal a lot with ogres. And, and peanuts. ogres are defeated by peanuts. Those are two details you have to know, otherwise this chapter makes zero sense. And it all focuses on Ogata's restaurant, where her dad is outside, basically, like, heading the festival. Inside, Ogata and Uega are doing some studying. He's kind of like, hey, why is nobody here? And she's like, yep, well, nobody's here because they're all out there doing the festival. Uh, so we can focus on studying. And uh, Uega's like, why are you wearing that costume? And she's wearing sort of like a full body black stocking thing but like the tiger print kind of like savage like clothes the top of it but a very feminine version kind of like what you would see an ogre character wear i guess i, I don't know about japanese mythology a lot i just know so when i see ogres in for video games that's what they kind of wear for um the old school Otaku-minded people out there, she is basically dressed like Lum from Urusa Yatsura. Um, it's much less risque because she's actually wearing like a unitard underneath the uh, Kakuro bikini, but that's basically what she's dressed as. So, yeah. so she kind of notes like, I can't go to the festival since we study this year, but this is a costume my grandma made for me, so I thought it'd be kind of a waste not to use it, which is a very sweet sentiment. Not really understanding how her grandmother knew exactly what uh, dimensions or uh, what uh, measurements she'd be at, you know, two years later or whatever it was. But hey, fair enough. Uh, she asks, hey, I have another one. Do you want to wear it? And Yuega's like, no. <laughs> so Yuega just kind of offhandedly mentions like, oh, I'm kind of tired. So then the chapter has to do with <laughs> hypnotism based off. Hey, that. remember how I hypnotized you in that one chapter? <laughs> You're like, all right, sure. Hey, we're uh, doing this now. We cut over to Kirisu because it wouldn't be a good chapter. We never learn without <laughs> Kirisu. I like how she's just there because like this wasn't fetishy enough. <laughs> well, we established there's a second costume. Another girl has to show up to wear it. Yes. And we <laughs> and we and we've established that two of the other three girls that exist don't have titties. So what's the uh what's the freaking Oh god. I I I'm so oh I'm so bad at this. Um it's the theatrical thing, like if you introduce a gun in a play, it has to oh, be fired by scene gone. three. Chekhov's gun. So yeah. Chekhov's Chekhov's Oni cosplay. Che- Chekhov's <laughs> fetish costume. <laughs> so she shows up. She's like, oh, hey, a restaurant. Isn't this where? And then she steps inside. Uh, and maybe this is a Japanese thing, but to me, this feels very rude. She just opens the restaurant door without opening your eyes and demands food. And 
If I were to walk into my local Denny's, close my eyes, open the door, and scream, One Grand Slam breakfast, please! <laughs> I well, would be blindly, sh- blindly walking in, swinging your arms and <laughs> wildly punching the air in front of you. I'm doing the Vince McMahon walk. <laughs> One <laughs> eggs over my hammy, please. <laughs> the rudest thing. No time to get to my table, damn it! Start frying those hams up. <laughs> Oh man! So uh, she walks in as Yuiga is ducking away. I don't know. I guess they 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 ran to a situation where they were directly in front of the door, and Yuiga ducks out of being hypnotized by Ogata, and is sort of doing it in front of Kirisu. So we cut away as she's sort of chastising them, and she's like, "This is silly. You have exams coming on. You should not be messing the time with silly stuff like hypnotism." And then we like zoom out and she's like kind of laying on Uega and cut up around him. And he's like, why are you doing this? She's like, you should be studying. Don't mind me. There's nothing wrong with laying you pay for me. So she's been hypnotized, which we did establish before, I think. Wasn't there a chapter where she got hypnotized previously? I believe that when she hypnotized Uega, she also managed to hypnotize herself. Was that Ogato hypnotized herself? I thought there was a chapter where Kirisu got I- hypnotized. Chris, I can't keep track of the things they do. It to doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The point is, she's hypnotized now, and Yuiga is basically going to have a threesome. Okay, that's basically what this chapter is. Yes. Uh, so Agata is watching as this happens, and she gets a little angry. So she tries to cancel the hypnosis, and she's like, "Yeah, you don't, you don't need this. Watch this. Focus on my voice. Uh, cut with the ogres." And this is clearly like a weird statement they had to make to make this translate to Japanese because what Kirisu gets out of cut with the ogres is outfit, ogres, outfit, the ogre. So she wears the other ogre outfit that we established. So there we go. Well, Chekhov's- it is it is it is out with the ogres because yeah. part of this tradition is like you're trying to repel evil spirits, Oni ogres, and you're trying to invite good luck. So, yes. So she gets in Chekhov's fetish outfit. Uh, and then we basically find that Ogata has ended up hypnotizing herself. Dun, dun, dun. And she wants to be pampered as well. And he's like, I like that Yuiga's like, no, this is stupid. I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> this I'm, stupid. I'm going outside. And they won't let him go because they are now ogres and they want to pamper him. Dun, so dun, dun. They're both being very, uh, like, flirtatious with him and overly kind of pampering uh he tries to leave so she's like you you know you lay down your head on my lap and then uh ogata jumps onto his lap and she's like mm, i'm one step ahead of you and ogata uh, is just like i don't understand though no, they're under hypnosis uh it, they're not themselves i've just gotta pull myself out of this i gotta find a way to bring them back to their senses and there's the note like, oh, well, there's an ongoing clock, too, because if Ogata's dad comes in and sees the two of them kind of pawning over Riga like this, there's going to be trouble. And Riga's mm-hmm. like, oh, I, you know what? I, I'm really thirsty. You guys should, uh, should, should get me some hot tea. Yeah. And they're like, this will right. get me out of the situation. He's like, good. It'll take several minutes for them to go get. And they're like, hey, we found hot tea right here in the service. He's like, fuck. I love that he's like, curse my over preparedness. <laughs> 
Uh, but he specifically says, ah, oh, nuts, which is a very Uigo way of saying things. And the two of them get, yeah. And the two of them get very scared. They drop the thermos. And he's like, huh? Nuts? And then they do it again. He's like, all right, they're both ogres now. And ogres are afraid of nuts. And he sees peanuts at the table. So and the stupid. best the best moment in this entire chapter is Yuiga reaching for him, and he's like, technically, peanuts are legumes, but... <laughs> he's such a nerd, he has to correct himself. He's like, you know, technically, this isn't right, but... <laughs> he goes to try to throw them. They snatch the peanuts away, because they're like, no, we're not done pampering you. Ogata's dad's about to come inside. He's like, uh-oh, it's all over. Ogata slips on the tea that they spilled, Falls breast first into Uega. All the peanuts fly into the air. It's okay. like her boob punches him in the face. It really, like, I mean, that would probably hurt like a fuck ton. That's basically oh, it would like hurt if the impact on her would probably hurt her. Yes. I was thinking more of Uega. If you got titty punched like that, I mean, you're going to feel that. I feel like. Um, Ogata's dad tops in. The situation luckily has ended because peanuts fell on both of the girls' heads, so they're not ogres anymore. Uh, Karasu just comments over, like, after she's gotten dressed and is leaving, she's like, that's weird. Why was I dressed like that? I don't really remember anything that happened in the last hour. And they sort of thank her for helping her with their studies, and she's like, uh, sure, I guess, and heads off. You didn't get any studying done. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Yuega's just like, huh, that was really crazy. And Ogata says, yes, but sometimes it's fun to go a little ogre board with you. And Yuega's like, but you were hypnotized, right? She's like, was I? So, who <laughs> really knows? That's the chapter. So most of this was really stupid. Mm -hmm. There were occasional funny jokes, but honestly, this chapter gets zero stars just because she went ogre board. It's lame. Doesn't it earn a little bit of it back with Yuego reach out? It's like, peanuts are technically Legos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I said, there are some funny jokes along the way. I think that, but I think that uh, there are also some parts that are just like really weird. For example, the part where the girls are portrayed as like very sexual um, as they're getting up on Yuiga and, you know, with their eyes are like narrowed and they're kind of, and they're, and they're posing all sexily and stuff. Um, there's a bit where they're both coddling him and Yuiga goes, they smell so good and feel so soft and smell so good. And it's like, ugh, ugh, <laughs> stop sniffing them. <laughs> um, I just want to, like, I, it's not my character of the week, but if I could give it to Yuiga for reaching for the peanuts and then being like, technically legumes, I would, because it's made my favorite joke in all, of, in all of Jump this year. But yeah, no, this is a pretty uncy chapter where you're like, it's just a silly joke that feels like it feels like Ogata keeps getting the short end of the stick recently. Like ever since her big arc, any of like the chapters that seem to focus a lot on her feel like they don't actually have any sort of real redeeming qualities at the end, um, which feels like they're pushing more and more towards the idea of Ogata not even being like a real option towards the end. She doesn't. I think the issue is that it doesn't emphasize the qualities that make you like her. Uh -huh. You know, uh, that is the big problem I have with the chapters we've gotten surrounding her is that they make me like her less. It would be a, a, all of the girls have had stupid chapters before. Yes. But I feel as though she has, yes, had the most 
downward uh, arc in terms of how they make her out to be. Anyway, let's move on. Dr. Stone. It is a big fight chapter. Z equals 129. Joker. Everyone gets on the Perseus. Uh, there's a big two-page spread of everyone getting off of the canoes and and running up the ramp to fight with everybody. Magma, of course, still has the pistol in hand. Uh, <laughs> all of the guards on it look completely identical. Like, they've all got the exact same hair and face. But whatever. Um, Magma keeps on trying to shoot the gun. And he says, time to die, Ibarra. You're deader than dead. And uh, Nikki punches him in the top of the head uh, to get him to stop wasting bullets, which uh, just hit random parts of the boat. Um, it's caused a whole bunch of noise, of course. Uh, Senku sets off some impromptu fireworks uh, using the gun and some weird magnesium in order to draw a lot of attention to them. And uh, they use this in conjunction with Gen's bluffing to make it look as though he's cast a spell to send this huge arc of light into the air and all, a bunch of the guards throw themselves overboard in fear. But then uh, Chrome spots, wait a minute, there's a boat that's not fleeing. It's coming towards us. And oh, Moses is coming for them because he's going to kill them all. So they're like, all right, well, here we go. It's a showdown. Get ready, Sheriff. And Yo points the gun and... Moe's rushes up the ramp and knocks him on his ass. So that didn't work. Yeah, what are you going to do? He uh, explains that he has been observing the sorcerer's magic this whole time, and he knows that for them to work their magic, it requires a single moment for them to use their fingers. And so he could actually tell when Yo was going to fire because he could see him squeezing the trigger. Uh, so that's how he was able to stop it. And the gun's knocked overboard along with Yo, so nobody else can pick it up and, and uh, defend against Mozu. So uh, everyone tries to stop him. Kinro steps in, but he's immediately bat battered aside. The same thing happens with Nikki. Uh, and so they're like, so Gen, of course, gets really nervous as everyone retreats further into the uh, ship. And... Uh, Gen says, so are we out of scientific trump cards here? And Senka says, pretty much the wells run dry. But uh, as everyone is thinking that they're done for, Senka's like, they haven't backed us into a corner. We backed ourselves right where we need to be in this exact room. And they backed into the room with the cell as he opens up the storeroom where he freaking Hyoga is and uh, I think that the girl's name was Homura and so they unlock it in order to let out uh, Hyoga Kinro gives him his spear and Hyoga steps outside and we're gonna see how the hell this turns out they have used the last trump card uh, that is at uh, Senku's disposal seemingly because I'm pretty sure that this is like the last character who had like done nothing to this point, And they said like, yeah, we're bringing them along just in case. Well, here's just in case. Yeah. So, uh, so it's, it's kind of cool. We get to see like every piece kind of come together on this. I'm a little bummed that it feels like Kinro really doesn't have a strong established strength really anymore. 
not mm. in the same way almost every other character sort of has their established thing. So it's kind of sad that, like, there wasn't a bigger moment of Kinro saying against Moe's. I know this is how they've established it. Moe's is the strongest. He beat Kohaku. He is far and away the strongest person they fought. It's just a little bit of a shame that Kinro doesn't get more than just a single scene. And it's like, boom, I've beaten you. Like, get out of the way kind of thing. Just because mm. it was, it was going to be cool. I, maybe there's still a chance for that to happen. Just maybe down the line or something like that. I'm still hoping there's, like, a big Kinro moment, I guess. I feel like, you know, because the supporting cast of Dr. Stone, there are people that uh, occasionally get little moments like Nikki, uh, Yo, Magma. And then there's the more core group of characters, uh, you know, Taiju, Yusuriha uh, have been there forever, uh, although Yusuriha is, you know, a non-combat character. Um and, you know, of course, Kohaku, Ginro, Kinro and stuff like that. They're they've been with the Kingdom of Science for longer. They're more of the core group. And, you know, like Chrome has not really gotten a whole lot to do in this arc either. Um, he, you know, had, I believe, the little moment of insight uh, when they were doing their plan earlier. But that was about it. Um, but I feel as though you don't need to have the standout moments for them as often because like, well, they're part of that core group. They're going to get their chance. But I get your point. Yeah. You know, Kinro had his whole thing where um, he was going to lead the, you know, squad of fake invaders because uh, he was the person with the spear that could make it look good. And, uh, well, he's good for taking out some nameless mooks. But uh, the first important character that he comes across, yeah, just bats him aside like he's nothing. Yeah. I, so I get that frustration. Um, but Hyoga is way stronger than anyone in the Kingdom of Science, including Kohaku. So we'll see. Yep, we shall see. Yes, Jeff Fugel says it right. Kinro feels like Worf. Aw, but I love Worf. Everyone loves Worf, but you know. Worf's great. Chainsaw Man. Chainsaw Nigger. This is the most '80s slasher villain chapter. Like. Fucking love this chapter. This is probably the best chapter of this week. So, yeah. Um, it is about everyone trying to stop Reese as she tries to grab Denji and her killing a bunch of people in her way. And that is basically it. And she does it in some pretty ridiculous ways. Um, so there are these two guys who try and use their demon contracts to grow mold inside of her organs. So she's like, all right, she, uh, pulls the pin on one side of her neck and then she smacks it, uh, into the other and her head blows off. And like, what the fuck? Did she commit suicide? And then she picks up her own head and she throws it at them. And it goes through the window of the building and her head says, boom. And then it goes boom and blows up <laughs> and then seemingly regenerates into her full on devil form and starts going after people. And then they're like, oh, don't let her get to Aki. And then one of them says to the other, no, Mo, dead ahead. What? And then her first body gets up and runs towards them and blows him up. <laughs> it is so great. You just see this headless corpse fucking like it's it, it's like the uh, did you ever see Get Out? Yes. When you see uh, the guy who's, uh, I forget what he was, the, the, like the grandfather, the, the whatever, groundskeeper, who's the groundskeeper. just running like that. Spoilers. It's, yeah. yeah, it's exactly like that. Uh, who's just fucking running. 
and just latches onto him and is like a blam. It's so satisfying. Amazingly, he's not dead after this. We see him like show up after she's taken out a few more goons and he's like used his shirt to tourniquet his completely severed arm. Uh, he distracts her for a moment so that his, one of his colleagues can do the thing that uh, Hayasaka had done before. You know, you close your hand around someone and some of the fox or wolf demon. I forget which one it is. And it bites them. And so he managed to do that. And I was like, oh, vice captain, you're here. And then the demon's like, Ugh, that tasted awful. I'm leaving. And they're like, huh? And somehow, despite being eaten, she's still there. So they react to this in probably the most casual way you possibly could, because the vice captain just says, I'm supposed to go to a singles meetup tonight. And he's almost like, oh, take me with you, boss. And then we cut away. That's it. Um, <laughs> then we get a shot of uh, Hayasaka trying to get Denji away in a car. He is just completely slumped over uh, with blood com coming out of his mouth. He instructs the angel demon to feed uh, Denji and the uh, shark de devil his own blood so that he can... Uh, so that they can recover. And Hayasaka is like, ah, oh, shit. And the angel demon is like, why aren't you driving? And Hayasaka says, you just had to show me a bad future, didn't you? Because his future side ability is kicking in. And the bomb devil is there. And you see a very small smirk appear on her bomb head. And she holds up the vice captain and Nomo's heads in her hands. And that's where we end the chapter. So it's not a shock that he died. It was very obvious. It felt like that that character was doomed. Mm. Uh, but it's kind of cool just how it goes. Like this is a chapter just to show off how fucking awesome Reese is where you just have her tossing her own head into it. Like, and it's so comically goofy where she's like, boom, and then there's a huge giant explosion and then the headless corpse runs up and blows somebody else up. It's just such a cool fucking visual and, and the way it all goes across is so fucking goofy and exciting um i don't know how you couldn't love this chapter it's it's it was, so a, it was a lot of fun yeah um it was both really impressive and goofy yeah somehow so it, yeah it, it's like that right tone like this is i guess like almost the quintessential chainsaw man kind of tone where it's like this is so absurd and ridiculous, but at the same time, it's just kind of cool. I can't, I can't really explain it, but it's it's pretty fucking dope. Um, I wonder how they will decide if this ever gets an anime. How you describe how for most of this chapter the character is uh butt naked as she murders pretty much. Her way through She's everybody. got like an apron on, and that's about it. She finds a pair. She finds a pair of underwear at the end, which. Yeah, I, I do like the idea that she was done killing everybody, and she's like, oh, "I'm not gonna, I'm gonna have some modesty. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna cover up, you know." Yeah, I, I think she's eccentric. Yeah, know. absolutely. Good chapter. All right, Let's seven deadly sins. Talk seven deadly sins, chapter three thirty two. The price. So they beat the demon lord. He's defeated. Big explosion. Whoa! Everyone kind of gets knocked away. Uh, we almost see fucking Re is Rebecca her name? What Elizabeth? Elizabeth, that's it. Elizabeth almost gets fucking crushed by a giant rock again. 
Uh, but Melodius and they're like, no, 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 that's bad. No, we're not going to do that again. Uh, she gets saved in time. Uh, we see Mail shows up to save Zeldris. Uh, and all the sins are okay, but they're very, very tired because that's what happens when you have your power level pushed beyond your limit. The only person who's kind of still able to move around is Gouther, who says, yeah, but I'm probably going to fall apart if I, you know, don't rest a little bit. So uh, <laughs> there's a small moment where King asks Bond, what's it mean to get married? And Bond's like, you suck. It's <laughs> like, hey, I'm basically your brother-in-law right now. And King's like, this blows. Uh, Zeldris flies over to Melodius and he's like, hey, that blast was strong enough to destroy all of Britannia. How did you not, how did it only destroy the Demon Lord and nothing else? And Melodius points down to where the river was and sees a big blob of water that stores limitless magic. We were able to pull it off because the lake absorbed all of the rest of the extra magic. Uh, and they very quickly are sort of like, Merlin told him to do that. So <laughs> that's what Merlin did. Um, <laughs> We see the commandments laying on the ground. They're like, oh, but I thought the demon lord was gone. They're like, well, yeah, but he's too tough to completely annihilate. So we're going to have to find some other way to do that. Like, we're going to have to... There's, there's a way to destroy him, but it's it's not just going to be hitting him with the big blast. So Melodius activates some of the powers of the demon lord, as he is now. But again, he's white, so he's a good one. And it's... uh. They say this form, I don't believe it, and I'm not 100% certain what that's supposed to specifically be in reference to, because um, I don't remember all the lore of Seven Deadly Sins that much, unfortunately. But they're like, hey, your power's on par. No, it surpassed our father. And he uses his hands to basically grab on to the Ten Commandments, and he's like, I will wipe this stuff out. But before he does, Zell just grabs onto his hand. He's like, are you sure about this? Because if you... Could you with this power you could take father's place? Well, he's like, yeah, but then I'd be an evil dickhead ruler just like our dad was. And also, that sounds like a lot of trouble. I'm very bad at. I, I just want to get a drink. Uh, <laughs> hey, I don't want to do that, and I don't think you want to either, Zeldris. I think you want to live a peaceful life with Gelda, don't you? So, Zeldris lets go. He's like, yep, yeah, that is what I want. They blow up the Ten Commandments. Uh, Hooray! Zelodius says, this is my answer! And they all disappear. Uh, light breaks through the darkness of the clouds. It's it's a celebration drink for everybody. Zeldris, will you come with it? He's like, hmm, I don't want to go to all of your party with your people and everything, but if it's one-on-one, I'll think about it. But you have to pick up the tab, and the two of them embrace and we see uh, Gelda and Elizabeth looking on from afar, and they have their nice, sweet little moment. So, maybe now we'll get the actual, actual wrap-up. <laughs> I really want another one. If another mountain fall, falls out of the sky, it's like, well, Seven Deadly Sins is just going to last for three more years at this I rate. really, I want every arc to end with Elizabeth being hit with a giant boulder, and a new arc starts that... It's just a, the same silly victory lap that this one was. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this, honestly. It was fine, but yeah. that's really all I have to say about it. Uh, it was, you know, post the fight with the Demon Emperor, and they ha- and they have to establish, like, yes, we didn't we we launched our Gala gun at the guy, but we didn't blow up the Earth because this. 
and then everyone's happy because they won and that's basically it so yeah it makes sense for why the the, the lake could absorb it when they established that the lake had a ton of super powerful magic and part of mm-hmm. like the fight was separating the demon lord from the lake but at the same time it also does feel a little weird that it's like in a one panel flashback like merlin was like use the lake to <laughs> absorb all the extra attack and like I mean, whatever. We're, I'm not really here at this point to nitpick, like, how Seven Deadly Sins fucking high-fives itself all the way to the ending. All right. Okay, from there, let's move on to the Promised Neverland. So, we knew that this was going to be about the confrontation between the Queen and Sonju uh, because of the... Uh, relationship reveal between them that they are siblings so here we get chapter 157 the world is mine uh we see sonju as a child uh as when he was a prince he went on a hunt uh killed a well a cattle uh kid it seemed and sonju observed like you know he because he's apparently stabbed him with his spear and he observes, like, he's still alive and trying to live. And this instructor of his says, that is life. That is what it means to hunt life. And he says, look, everything has life. Simba, all living creatures are precious lives created by the gods. We all hunt each other and are therefore connected in the great circle of life. But basically, the philosophy is and that this is something that we of course have seen Sonju and Mujiga do when they did the prayer over the animals that they hunt and kill and stuff that hunting is borrowing because lives are borrowed and not gifted so that's why you must respect your own life and the lives of others and share with each other borrow from the gods and then return to them this is the truth we need to follow and they conduct the prayer over the cow child's body uh, at the end um, we then see there being, uh, basically Sanju like observing a lot of the events that unfolded that we know of already, uh, and basically kind of see them from his perspective. And, uh, he's been told by his instructor that he should support the king, even if he doesn't become the king. Uh, and him agreeing to do that. And now, of course, he's going to try and kill the queen. And so there we come back to the present and uh, the three children are like, wait a minute, they're siblings. And they have this conversation, blah, 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 blah. You betrayed us. Ancient faith, promise, evil blooded. Um, essentially just kind of reframing everything that we kind of have gotten to this point already. But whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mujika tells the three kids to take Zazie and retreat. Uh, but Norman says that he won't be able to move him because he's too heavily wounded. Uh, where he's like, so what's the queen? I, I, I mean, I know, but, uh, you should explain it so that, so that Norman and, and Emma understand it. I, I figured it out already. But, I, uh, I understand what the island is, but for everyone else, could you explain lost? <laughs> What is the smoke monster exactly? And why is it a guy? Why is it locked now? <laughs> I mean, I know. Uh, but, but, I, I understand. I know everything about the show, but uh, other people probably And don't. why those six numbers exactly? <laughs> <laughs> well, you understand. Sometimes nothing has a meaning. He's like, 
I don't like that answer. I'm going to make Wait, it my you own. You just made it all up? I, I mean, I knew that. Too. I, 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 no, I... That's genius. See, you see Not him throwing away a book of fan fiction. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, well, don't do that anymore. So, Muji explains that the queen has two cores, and one of them has been destroyed, and she has revived herself with the other. She says, this is a secret trait passed down in the royal family since the first king. I don't know much about either, but in the royal family, in rare cases, a child is born that way. So, like, does Sanju have it? And Muji goes like, I mean, he shouldn't. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So... Sanji's got to find that other core. And basically, he concludes that when he attacked her at the end of the last chapter, throwing a bunch of spears into her body, she twisted her torso slightly. So she must have done so in order to protect the core somewhere in her torso. So he's aiming for that point, And he's like, I will kill her in one definitive attack. Uh, and he tries to do so. And her entire body separates uh, when he slashes through her. And uh, Sticky Liquid comes out. And catches Sonju's spear. And they're like, wait a minute, that's like the adhesive that Gielan's subordinates used. And it's caught his spear, so she attacks him. Then she, uh, and of course Sonju has lost his spear as a result of this, so she throws it at him, ends up severing his arm when she does so. And she says, oh, you were right about where my core is, but who cares? Even if you know that, you can't beat me. You can't do anything about this. Like you- Ozzy Mendez, I don't need to worry about revealing my plan to you. Like Eisen Mendez, I can just talk and not do anything because I know that I'm immortal. This doesn't make me a less interesting character at all. Anyhow. So she's like, I'm immortal now. Power! Uh... And she says, you will never understand how powerful I am because I'm not just revived. I've been reborn and I can retrieve all the memories and powers of those I've devoured and wield them as mine. I have reached that state. This is the world of the chosen one. All the world is mine. I will eat it all and become super strong. Uh, But as she says this, she thinks to herself, you know, this isn't enough. I, I must eat more. No, it's not enough. I'll eat the evil blood and the Gracefield children. I'll eat all of them. And so she rushes towards Mujika and Sanju tries to put himself in the way, but he can't catch up. And just as the queen is descending on Mujika, suddenly she pauses and she goes, why do you make that face? Why do you not run? Because Emma, Norman and Ray have been like, oh, bye. But uh, Mujika just kind of stands there staring up at her. And Mujika says, you poor creature. You get a close up on her face and there seems to be a tear coming out of one of the holes in her mask. as she says, why are you so desperate to fill your hunger? So it appears that possibly the solution to defeating the queen is not by Sanja killing her, but by Mujika dealing with her. But we'll see. Potentially. I mean, who knows? As you mentioned, this entire speech kind of went a long way into making the queen a lot less interested of a character because she's just all like blah, blah, I'm the most powerful <laughs> thing that's ever existed and, you know ever we we've seen that a billion times before so it's okay I, I I forget when it was but there was that whole like big quote that the writer of the promised neverland was like I don't really care about characters it's more about the adventure or like I'm I'm more about the story and Couple times you're like, I, I disagree. Out, it's like, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, like sometimes you're like, I disagree. You've made Emma a very compelling character. And then you get to chapters like this. You're like, oh, no, you know what you are all about. <laughs> all right. I suppose there is that. I mean, like, it's it's unfortunate because, like, you do wish sometimes that the characters were better written. But if that's your focus, that's your focus. And I guess that for the most part, it's you've been doing what you want to do. So. All right, let's finally talk about Black Clover, page 228, Arcane Stage Mages. Oh, boy. So, Asta is there with the queen, or the princess, rather, I guess. Or is she a queen? I, th- I thought they referred to her as a princess. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he's there at the princess. The- She's the monarch of the kingdom. But she is referred to as a princess. Okay, that's why I got confused. I was like, there is no one above her, but you know, whatever. Um, so the guard shows up with the other three characters. And we see all of them react to how beautiful they think the queen is. Finra's a moment where he's like, what a phenomenal beauty. And then he remembers that he's supposed to be not be doing that all the time now. So he gets really upset. Uh, the queen princess rather it's like ah please lend me your strength and then she trips and she falls because she's very very clumsy and it's very very funny um this is apparently the reason why the guard was like i told you not to be third person it wasn't supposed to be ominous it's because she's apparently a terrible klutz and you would never respect her if you saw how clumsy she is uh which if that's the case i don't know why you make her wear these big giant flowing gowns but yeah. i guess that's like, i mean look I know that this is just the thing, you know, medieval stylings had very like we want, you know, women to look a certain way and fuck one, their comfort and two, their ability to even support the weight of the clothing they're wearing. Uh, So it only makes sense that a naturally clumsy person would trip over one of her 200 skirts she's wearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but she she fixes her bloody nose by, by putting healing water magic over it, which is probably the only detail in this chapter that I enjoy. So she mentions, she's like, all right, so we need your strength because in a fight with the devil, no one that was lower than stage one would be able to keep up. But even a stage zero can't kill a devil. And the spirit guardians, they're very strong, but even they can't defeat a devil. And unlike us, in exchange for giving up the divine protection of natural mana, the Clover Kingdom has created all sorts of crazy unnatural magics that no one really knows. And is the only place that apparently has the eccentric spatial magic. So because the Clover Kingdom is so crazy and wacky, they have all these irregulars that maybe have the potential to defeat the devil, specifically referencing... uh, Julius, the wizard king, with his time magic, and oddly, Yami with his dark magic, and I always say uh, oddly, like, I guess it's just because the Clover Kingdom was the only place to accept him, but Yami's not from the Clover Kingdom, so referring to them, like, referring to him as sort of like, he was crafted by that kingdom just felt like an oddity. I guess he would just be kicked out of every other kingdom or not be given the tools to succeed, but Well, I guess because his magic, well... It is an odd thing because magic is something that has been established is very largely influenced by what you were born with. Hence, you know, why Asta has the uh, no magic and anti-magic. And all of the families have very similar magics, uh, seemingly 
genetically passed down between them. Uh, there are little, you know, differences between Noel and her siblings, but they're all basically water mages. Mm. Um, yeah, because you would think that, like, it would make more sense if magic were something that were more a matter of what was developed. But yeah, Yami's dark magic is just something that he has. It's not something that he trained to develop. I, I, said, I think the implication is meant to be that in any other kingdom, he wouldn't have succeeded. Like the Clover kingdom is so optimistic and open-minded uh, with its stuff that he only succeeded there. But again, it's sort of a thing where I'm like, we don't really get the impression that that would be how your kingdom would treat somebody like that. And we don't really know anything about the spade or diamond kingdom. So it's not really enough to be like, yes, I suppose he only could have succeeded there. Um, it doesn't really matter. The Clover Kingdom is a very special place, and it's the only place that can craft mages apparently strong enough to defeat a devil because they create very strange magics. So no, write that down now. Note this down now. The Clover Kingdom is the only place that has weird, crazy magic. So when we go to the Spade Kingdom, better be the fucking four goddamn elements over and over again. If you see one motherfucker who shows up and he's like, I have fucking cloud magic. You're like, that's bullshit. Get out of here with this nonsense. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, another guy who throws rocks. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We've only had to fight 200 of these guys before. But this guy throws really big rocks. Oh, (laughs) he's got to use both arms to throw them. His rocks are brown. The other guys were gray. Uh, They specifically know. Then I throw a rock at him. (laughs) It was a big rock. Big rock. Good times. They note specifically Nero would only be a stage six mage, but. She also has this powerful magic that's very forbidden, and that is incredible. In a similar way, Asta has no magic. He's lower than the stage nine. But because his magic is anti-magic, they occupy a specials level called arcane stage. So here's how the system goes. It goes from nine to zero because zero is above it. But then there's the arcane stage, which is kind of. I don't know if it's off to the side Chris, or above. who said that the ten tiers of magic go from zero to nine? Whoever said that? You did! <laughs> I'm the strongest. So they mention, hey, you guys are arcane stage. We need your help. And they're like, well, we'd like to, but we don't have the clearance to make that decision. So Asta says, let's use the transmission magic atom and ask Yami, and it cuts to him, and he's like, This is my favorite part of the chapter. I'm taking a dump right now, because we haven't cut to this joke again for a really long time that oftentimes asked, like, Yami just takes a dump constantly and is being disrupted by all these noisy children, so he just hangs up. He's like, this is maybe going to be the biggest dump of the century. Call back later. But this is something, but this is really important. Well, I'm in the middle of something really important. <laughs> and, a really big shit. And Laura Pachika's is like, eh, you know, pooping is important. And they're like, oh, all right. <laughs> so, Mimosa's like, we thought something might happen like this. We thought we might need to contact Yami super importantly, and he might be taking a gigantic shit as his character often does. His huge deuces are renowned through the Clover Kingdom. I mean, that's why she brought him in. She's like, wait, he has dark magic? I was inviting him because he has giant tubs. He can plug the devil's toilet. And the devil would never be able to go. 
And they're like, I mean, like, I guess he could, but one, it'd be really smelly, and then he would feel bad about not being able to flush. <laughs> he'd just like, be, he'd just be stuck there the entire time, like, ah, ah, damn it, it won't go down. This is so embarrassing. They're like, you thought that would be what was needed to defeat a devil. She's like, it was just an idea. Someone bring me a plunger. This is really come on. Wait, are you telling me Yami doesn't have poop magic? That's just a natural special ability he has. What's his regular magic? Dark magic. Oh, that sounds very cool. That's much cooler than poop magic. I can actually talk about that in public with him. <laughs> Not to seem weird. So they conference call in to fucking uh, the Wizard King. And he gets very excited. He's like, oh, you're the princess of the heart kingdom. Ha ha ha. They have this whole thing. Uh, they kind of already seem to know each other anyway. Like, it, it's just a thing like, oh, hey, you're a kid. They're like, hey, look, we, we, we get details out of this. We, we cut ahead because we, we got to get to the end of this conversation because big stuff's happened. They're like, hey, you guys help out. You're probably going to get some really cool stuff out of this. And the Lord Pachika is like, oh, thank goodness you're going to help then. Oh, when his things stand, you'll all be killed easily. And Asta's like, so is the spade devil really that strong? She's like, yes, it's stronger than the one you fought, I think. Super strong. It's very strong. So uh, he's not a stage one. He's above a stage zero. He's above a stage arcane stage. He's like triple double arcane stage. So So basically the scale that we introduced two chapters ago is already useless. So (laughs) like... It was weird how it was structured that we were like, your stages go from one to zero, one to nine. But people even above that are stage zero. But people who are special cases go even above that. But even at that stage, you're not strong enough to beat this devil. So it's we're going like to have to do it. It's like, you know, when you're playing a game and they have to, like, eventually it reaches a point where the tiers of rewards that you can purchase become uh, meaningless because there's been so many of them. So you have to make a new tier above that. So you start off like, was like, all right, so every pack of Yu-Gi-Oh cards comes with a guaranteed rare card, but some cards are super rare cards. And sometimes if you're really lucky, you'll get an ultra rare card. And sometimes if you're really, really, really lucky, like one in 200 packs or something, you get a secret rare. And they're like, is that it? Well, yes. Until like five years later when we we'll be like, you can get a ghost rare. It's that ghost rares. Fuck them. <laughs> ghost rares. Yes. Which was basically like even rarer versions of just pre-existing cards. Okay. But, you know what? That's not so bad. I was worried that they were like, there's special cards that only have that low of a percent child chance to get. No, nah, it, it was basically like if you bought like a thousand packs or some shit like that, then you might get one that was like just an, a pre-existing ultra rare card or something like that. But the foil was different or something along those lines. So, well, fair enough. So they say, hey, um, ask this like, you know what? That makes sense. When we fought the devil. We had to have some really powerful people with us, like Leashed and uh, Lumius and all that, or Lumiere. So it makes sense. Like, we're going to need help if we're going to be able to beat this guy. Uh, Laura Pachika mentions that Gaja's scar was the work of a devil. And everyone's okay. Like, yeah, I'm like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's like, wow, if Gaja couldn't beat him, and he's a stage zero after we just established. 
The tears, stage, the tears are already meaningless. That stage zero doesn't mean shit. Everyone still has like, like Noel's like, oh my god, Gotcha could beat him. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Uh, even spirit guardians can't. So they're like, yeah, you know, uh, Undine apparently fought the Wizard King at some point, and we don't know the result of that. But the Wizard King's like, wow, well, you know, with the Diamond Kingdom in that state. Our knights will just have to get stronger. So yeah, the 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 devil Megacula, Megacula, whatever, is haunting the Spade Kingdom. It's using its citizens to build its power so that it can invade other countries, including the Culver Kingdom and the Heart Kingdom. And if nothing changes, my curse will kill me in a year. So before my power weakens, I need to invade the Spade Kingdom preemptively. We have half a year. We need to get all the combat power we can get. Gather people with the potential to fight a devil. My five stage zero guardians will make you stronger. I want you to train with us. And in six months, alongside us. And we see all the five members of the Clover Kingdom who are there saying, You can count on us. We're going to personally train underneath these five stage zero guardians. And we cut over to see other characters who apparently will train with them as well. And then we see at the very bottom of the last page, six months later, we're skipping that. No time for fucking... (laughs) Goddamn training arcs. We got to get into this shit. I love how she's basically like, my five stage zero guardians will make you stronger. Not my five stage zero guardians will go along with you to help you, but we'll make you stronger in these six months. Asta, I will pass on to you all of my hand techniques. <laughs> well, no, it can't be. It can't be Asta. It's going to be like Zora. <laughs> it's like Zora will give you all of my hand techniques. And then he shows up. I'm just going to use. I'm just going to use traps. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Uh, so it's worth noting. They show several different characters. We see Leopold. We see Charlotte. We see real. Uh, I think Zora luck. luck. Yeah. And then, you know, so yeah. all of them, I guess, are brought in to help train because they weren't brought on the mission in fact mm-hmm. several of them are captains so i mean i guess this is desperate measures call well, for you know. two of them are captains i guess yeah yeah but it's still a, a situation where like captains are also going over it's, to train. it's an odd collection that's going to be doing this and also they established that the black bulls were supposed to be handling this and most of the black bulls aren't apparently going to be doing this. (laughs) Yeah. It's sort of like an all-star team, I guess, but it's also an all-star team of the most popular characters. So this is sort of like when this is sort of like when the, the, whatever you called the team in bleach was like, Hey, we're going to invade Huicamundo. And then halfway through they're like, well, a bunch of captains of the soul. They're going to, they're going to help too, because you're not good enough. You're not interesting enough. And we're going to depower most of oh, your wait, main is characters. It, is it? I didn't go to Huicamundo. My mistake. He Did, was part. Of the, didn't uh, Unahana go? Uh, Unohana went, yes, because she had to heal everyone's asses. Yeah. And uh, as I've heard, Zoraki and Byakuya to kick ass. So, it feels a little bit like that, where it's like, here are the most popular characters to help you. Uh, it feels very strange to get all this information given to us, and then it's like, and you're going to do a very, yeah, you're going to do this big training arc, and my five stage guardians, when you've only introduced one. So, I don't know why we even bothered addressing the other four, but maybe we'll see them later at some point. But And also be like, hey, there's five characters here. Five stage guardians will be here to make you stronger. Uh, but like seven other people are going to show up and help, I guess, too. So 
it's a really weird place to put a time skip in Mm. a really weird one to put it in because like the first time I read this, I was just like, well, really, (laughs) you You don't really know how to react. I, I don't, I, I mean, it feels wrong just because of the typical way that you do a Shonen adventure series. Time skip is after an eventful, uh, thing has happened. Uh, you know, the conclusion of an arc, uh, there was the thing that happened in fairy tale where they all got blown up, uh, by, uh, I almost said apocalypse. <laughs> Apo- I tried to combine apocalypse dragon with his actual name. Apocalypse dragon's up. fine. Um, so even though there wasn't like a really important thing that it preceded that it was like, Oh shit, you know, the, the big bad showed up and tried to blow them all up and they got flung into the future. Basically. Um, this it's just like, we need to train you guys. <laughs> That's this. And, and it doesn't feel as though there's a, re- I know that I know that Tabata did as- try his best to establish this devil is a really, really big deal. But it doesn't really impact for me because we have not even seen this devil at all. Like, I think that we might have seen like a silhouette in a couple of these allusions to him. But that's basically or her, you know, that's basically it. So. It doesn't feel as though this is a thing that is like so important that we need to just do a time skip now or anything like that. It's just really weird. Um, but I guess we'll see what comes out of it. I think the part that's really confusing to me still is why the other members of the Black Bulls aren't really being included. When we address, they're exiled. They, it's not like they have anywhere else to yes. go. Exactly. And so they that, can't just be doing kicking around in the Clover Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you can't try to pretend to like they're doing reconnaissance. I, that's probably what they'll say they're doing. But like even saying like they're doing reconnaissance for the Spade Kingdom, it's like, wouldn't you want to have like this? This was the the Black Bull's problem to solve. But don't worry, we'll send help from all the other like companies as well, including. Yeah, because because of the seven characters that are shown in between these two pages that it appears the idea is that they will be involved in this going forward. Uh, more than half of them are from outside divisions. Mm. So that would mean that out of the 12 total people that are going, that is four five, six, seven, seven members of the black bulls and the rest are not. Now, of course this could just be including some of the highlights in terms of people that are going to be included because maybe all the black bulls are going to be involved in this and you don't want to spend way more panel space uh, establishing all of them because there are so many black bulls. Uh, but it, it is weird that again, it's you know one of those things where it's like you establish something is like this is a thing. And then so soon after it, you're kind of going against the point that you established by doing that. The same as the tears is the, you know, the black bulls are exiled. This is what they've got to do. Anyway, we're going to keep on having them team up with other guys. So, And, like, part of it, I guess, makes sense when you're like, all right, Charlotte should be involved. She has cursed magic. This whole thing is about cursed magic. She was I set guess, up before with her conversation with Yami. I yes. guess real makes sense because I guess painting magic is so absurd. It probably is one of those arcane Look, stage things. There are so many canvases in the Spade Kingdom. <laughs> They'll eat you if you don't paint on them. 
But then it's like, why is fucking Leopold there? He just has fire magic. I don't understand. Like, it, I don't understand why he's involved, but we don't see, like, uh, fucking Vanessa in there when it's like she has what has to be considered the, like, top tier arcade magic stuff. Like, I don't know. It's a sort of weird who gets established here and who doesn't. If you're not going to make all the Black Bulls important, why are some of them being like, I don't know. It's just, it's weird and an odd time skip. So let's see what happens, but a very strange end to this chapter. Mm -hmm. The thing about it is, I can't say it's like, this is bad. No. It's it's just like, well, this is weird and it feels wrong, but I can't say for sure that this is going to be bad or, or, or I expect it to be bad or anything like that. It's just like, well, this is... The only thing that's bad in this chapter is that they just completely make the entire tier thing that is spent. That was such a big part of the last few chapters, just completely meaningless right away. So, yeah, but that's it. There's no one piece this week. So uh, that's going to wrap up weekly manga recap. Chris, what was your favorite series? Who was your MVP? Uh, Chainsaw Man is my chapter of the week and Reze is the character of the week. Uh, I'm going to agree with you on chapter of the week. Like, I I can't believe it. It's the second week they're recovering Chainsaw Man, and I was like, "Oh, Chainsaw Man, we were going to." It's like, "Yeah, Chainsaw Man was good." Yeah, like, God damn it, it's it was fucking, really good. It's fucking incredible. I, it's undeniable. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah. Um, in terms of character, oh, it might have to be Reese. What else happened this week? Hang on. <laughs> Let me just double check because okay, I don't want to rush into this. It, it, I don't want to double scoop right away. So I, it's, it's, mostly because I hate double scooping. So that's fair. So it's worth noting that Chainsaw Man was the audience character chapter of the week, and K from uh, Act Age was their. Um, that's what we got to do. MVP. We got to catch up on Act Age so that I can do that. <laughs> but there was a bunch of different people uh, voted for other leaders. So Bakugo got Character of the Week polls. Deku. <laughs> um, we saw Sonju from The Promised Neverland get a couple votes. <sighs> I think I'm going to go with Bakugo just because he stood out so much in that chapter that was all about family drama and stuff. And Every single moment that he had a line, it was the best thing that was happening on the entire page. So that's fair. All right. That's going to do it, guys, for Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you for listening here on Smashcast.tv slash RoloT, Twitch.tv slash RoloT. We tend to record the show live Wednesdays between 730 and 8 Eastern time uh, in the evening. Uh, however, to stay updated on that kind of stuff, you can follow us on Twitter at Abomar Podcast. At Rolo T, at Nick F Time. Do all that stuff so you know when we're going to actually be recording the show. You can also check out our past episodes on Weekly Manga Recap at Poppin.com, YouTube, iTunes, all that stuff. Chris posted a few episodes uh, just uh, today, in fact. Yep. Be sure to check out our Discord server. You can use that to send us feedback, ask us questions for a QA episode, suggest manga for us to read. Uh, you can also send that stuff to us via email, Weekly Manga Recap at Yahoo.com. We want to thank you guys, our Patreon supporters, because you, we love you. That's why. Mm-hmm. Special thanks to Steve Manor, our talk artist, Neurotic fanboy to DeviantArt. Uh, he, he, he draws boobs on his Patreon, all sorts of stuff. Uh, he's got a bunch of different places he posts his artwork, too, that you can check out. Infinite Planet for the frame around us for the video version of the podcast. Opening sequence by Milo Jack Stillitz 
and by Winsdale Cheddar. Check them out on SoundCloud and YouTube, respectively. And NinjaX3i, who maintains the spreadsheets that uh, keeps track of all of the recommendations that we've taken and and, uh, the year-end polls. Speaking of which, uh, NinjaX3i has put up a Twitter account called uh, WMRVotes. So if you uh, want to contribute to the polls that they conduct, then you can use that as opposed to just uh, going having to keep up with it on the Discord. It's probably it's probably easier to keep up with the updates on Twitter in general, I think. So that's going to do it. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Anything to throw out as we head off into the sunset, Nick? No, I'm hungry. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Nick's hungry. He's eating his hand. He's ripping it off. Nick, no, there's blood everywhere. Nick, no. 